Well, today we're going to start a new series called Fields of Gold, and it essentially stems from Andy Stanley's book, Fields of Gold, and if you don't have it, get it, read it. A lot of my material will be coming out of that. One of the things that Andy Stanley has written a lot of books, um, some of his more popular ones are Deep and Wide, Visioneering, and so on, but he says of all the books he's ever written, he says Fields of Gold is the best book that he's ever written And he says that it gets the least amount of credit because it has to do with an issue that most of us don't want to talk about or certainly don't want a preacher to talk about. You know, a lot of of people come to me and say, Tyson, I need to grow my faith. Tyson, I need to work on my marriage. Tyson, you know, I need help in my job. What should I do? I need help with this relationship. What, What do you think about this and what about that? And everybody comes to the preacher, but the minute the preacher says one word about money, Everybody either shuts down, walks away, or whatever. It's like, it's like this weird, like, you can have everything, and I can talk to you about anything, and I can talk to you about my addictions, whether, you know, if it's really like drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. I can talk to the preacher about anything. But the minute the preacher starts talking about dead presidents, y'all run and scatter. So I've asked them to lock the doors in the back. No, I'm kidding. But for the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about money. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about angels, devil, heaven, or anything else. Jesus talked about money more than anything else. And I believe it's because it has such a tight grip on our soul and because it represents so much of what we do. So many hours out of our day are put into our jobs to get a paycheck. So, so much of our energy and our effort. I mean, think about it. You go to work and you put your energy and you come home and you're tired and all you want to do is just sit down. Right? I just want to sit down and I just want to watch TV and I want to veg, veg out and I want to binge on Netflix. And I, and I put all my energy into this. So don't, don't touch that part of my life. Thank you. I know this is not going to be an amen series. But I already got one, so I'm going to start keeping ticky marks. Um, But, so over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about finances. And at the end of this, at the end of this this series, what we're going to do is we are going to cap off our capital campaign. We're going to cap it off with one big give, one big hoorah. This is harvest season. Right? This is harvest season. The fields are gold right now. And I saw the combines out there working. And, you know, we should be willing to give to God what rightfully belongs to him anyway. And our Imagine campaign, I just want to share with you, this is unheard of. As I talk to pastors around the country on various phone calls and and such, they say that when you start a capital campaign or any kind of campaign in the church, you have a goal that you set and and you strive for that goal. And typically what comes in is about 70% of that goal on a whole, about 70%. Right now, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're over the Imagine campaign. Right now, we're tracking at 93%. That is unheard of in the church. So give yourself a round of applause. Give yourself a round of applause. And I know, that we're, I know that we're looking for land, and I know that we're planning on building a community center, and we want to put basketball courts in there. We want to create another field for the Optimist League so they can have another football field. And we want to do some things for our community and then also use it as a place to gather so that we can worship Christ. But 
something seems to happen when the preacher talks about money. Everybody just does this. So pull your fingers out of your ears. And as you pull your fingers out of your ears, I want to tell you about a man. Maybe you've never heard of him. His name is Milton Scott. Anybody ever heard of Milton Scott? Let me see your hand. Okay, that's what I thought. Milton Scott, there's no really no reason why you should have heard of him. He was born in 1895, fought in World War I. And after his heroic efforts in World War I as a soldier, he received the Legion of France. It's France's highest honor. And so he received the Legion of France. And after coming out of World War I as a soldier, he moved back to his hometown of Atlanta. And he begins to start his own textile business, his own tex- textile factory. And as he starts that business, he begins to do some pretty incredible things. His sister, some of you might recognize this name, his sister marries a man by the name of, and I hope I say this right, Asa, Col- uh, Asa Candler, Asa Candler, A-S-A, Asa Candler. And Asa Candler goes to Milton Scott and says, hey, I've got this great thing. I want you to get in on the ground floor of this, and I want you to invest everything you have in my product. Milton Scott, several years later, decades later, would be asked, why did you not invest with Asa Candler? And I'm going to read, here's word for word what he said. I didn't want none of Asa Candler's Coca-Cola. I didn't want any part of Coca-Cola. I didn't like it. (laughs) It's his brother-in-law. Now, looking back, a little over 100 years, we're like, oh my gosh. Right? Could you imagine what those stocks would be worth? But from the age of 25 until 102, he would run two extremely successful textile mills in Atlanta, and then he would sell them for millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to a British conglomerate. But here's the amazing thing about Milton Scott. He did not feel called to make the money he made. He felt called to get God's word out. And his calling with his finances was to get the Bible into as many hands as possible. In fact, Milton Scott felt so strongly about this generosity to get the Bible into people's hands that over the course of his 102 years that he lived, he never owned more than four pairs of shoes. He never owned more than four suits. He never owned more than six white dress shirts. He always drove a base model car, Nothing fancy. He lived in the house that he built for his wife in Atlanta with no air conditioning his entire life until the 90s. Then he got a couple of window units and put them in. Here's a millionaire living in his original house. No more than four pairs of shoes, four, four suits, six white shirts, eggs, bacon and toast every morning, never living to the potential that his finances would allow him to live. 
Why? Because he had a heart of generosity. He had a heart of giving. And in secrecy, this is what you've never heard of him. In secrecy, he gave away millions and millions and millions of dollars pre-Cold War and during the Cold War. He spent millions of dollars to smuggle Bibles into Russia, into communist Russia. He had the Bible translated in Chinese, Egyptian, Indian, and in Spanish and had it sent through all of South America, all through smuggled into China and in Egypt and in India. He started several orphanages and he paid he paid for several of those orphans to go to college, to get a college education. He fully funded multiple women's shelters and started women's shelters and funded them fully while he lived in his original house with his four shoes, his four suits, his six shirts. Because he believed that generosity was a calling, not just an action. He felt called to generosity. In fact, it was not uncommon, his friends tell us that it was not uncommon for him to clean his bank account out two to three times a year completely clean his bank account out and give it away for the purpose of the gospel, for the purpose of Jesus Christ. And he struggled, like you and I, he struggled with the what-ifs through World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, the oil crisis of the 70s. He struggled with the what-ifs, what if I don't have enough money, what if, what if, what if, what if, until he died in 2001. He believed that generosity was not something you do. He believed that generosity was a calling. Now, we don't know exactly how much money passed through Milton Scott's hands, but estimates kind of tell us, and when you gauge the estimate, he gave away 80% of everything that he ever earned. Some of us are doing good to give away 20 bucks a month. Gave away 80% of everything he ever earned because he believed generosity was a calling. So my question to you is this. Where's your generosity? Where's it at? Probably when I was telling you that story, you're like, wow, that's impressive. Maybe you were thinking, man, I stink at generosity. Some of you are likely going, where's my tomato? I want to throw it. Preacher's really getting serious. You see, I think a lot of times when we hear stories about people like Milton Scott, we tend to throw them on the religious heap with Mother Teresa and Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, right? We throw them on the religious heap of people like Martin Luther King Jr. We tend to just, well, that was Milton Scott, and we'll put him over there. That's really not for me. That's really not for me. But here's why I told you that story. And here's why I asked you, where's your generosity? Because at some point, everybody in this room has a generosity lid. You have a point at which you go, no more than that. I stop there. That's it. 
right? We all have that generosity threshold. And why? Why do we have a generosity threshold? Why do we have this lid? We have a lid or a generosity wall. If you think of you know, moving forward in a linear direction, we hit this wall. It's a wall that's painted on the outside with what ifs, but underneath that paint is something called fear. And if I dig down below your wall of fear that's painted with what ifs, I get below that wall, you know what I'm going to find? Self-preservation. It's self-preservation that promotes the fear that's painted. Well, I, what, what, if a bill, what if an unknown bill comes in? What, what if my kid who plays sports, you know, like bust a tooth out and I have to go to the dentist? And what if, what if I don't have enough money for retirement? And what if, and what if, and what if, and what if? Because here's my belief. My belief is that we all, we all are generous people. We are all giving people. That's not in question. You gave your life to Jesus. We're all, by nature, giving generous people, but we all hit a wall at some point with the what-ifs that's just a facade for fear that's really built on self-preservation. And there's one thing I can tell you about our leader. He, he's not interested in self-preservation. Going to the cross. If I'm interested in self-preservation, I don't get whipped 39 times in the back and get my skin ripped out and my muscle and bones exposed and then have to carry a cross and get nailed to it and then get a spear ran through my side to make sure that I'm dead. I don't, I don't go through that if I'm interested in self-preservation. He told his disciples, look, I can call down, I can call down a legion of angels and put a, whole, put a stop to all of this if I want. But you and I and our sinful nature and the sin nature that still plagues us says, what if, what if, what if, oh my gosh, fear, self-preservation, right? And here's what happens. We what if ourselves, right? So the Holy Spirit might move on us and say, you know what, you're gonna, I, I want you to give just a little bit more. I want you to give just a little bit until it hurts, until you don't know how you're going to handle the bills coming in, but I want you to give. And you know what, immediately the next thought is, well, what if I don't have enough? But it doesn't stop there. And we what if ourselves right into a way of living until our way of living becomes what if, what if. And, we what, and then we become what if people. We don't become faith people. We become what if people. We aren't called to be what if people. We are called to be faith people. God doesn't shine through what ifs. God shines through faith. God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but by faith I believe, and tr- if I can trust him with my soul, surely I can trust him with this green piece of paper in my pocket or in the bank account, right? Amen. Thank you. Here's what I can tell you about generosity. Generosity is in direct opposition to self-preservation. Generosity is in direct opposition to self-preservation. Now, I'm not talking about living wild, fancy-free, and carefree. That's not, I'm not talking about just going out and blowing your money and just 
blowing your time and blowing your energy and blowing your efforts and just blowing it. I'm talking about being strategic and managing it well so that when the Holy Spirit says, give more, do more, volunteer, take an extra step, you can go, yeah, I can do that because, because I've, I've been a good steward or a good manager of what God's given me. You see, there's two schools of thought here. There's two schools of thought when we talk about generosity. The first school of thought is this. The first school of thought is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give what's left over. I was at Panda Express the other day. And I, I don't know, somewhere in my DNA, there, there must be some Asian or Chinese somewhere. Because Chinese is my comfort food. Literally. It's like, it's not mashed potatoes and gravy. And it's not chicken noodles. It's Chinese. Specifically Szechuan. I didn't even get an amen on that. Okay. And when I'm, and like when the allergies kick in and I'm like, oh, I don't feel like going anywhere and I want to sleep, Lynn knows. And she shakes her head and she goes, I can't believe I'm walking in to this restaurant to get him his favorite Szechuan. Right? She's like, how do you eat Chinese when you feel sick? I don't know. I don't know. But getting back on track. I went to Panda Express, and they figured this out. And maybe you've been to a store, and they've, they've figured out human nature in this store. Because you know what they do? Would you like to round up to help the children at such and such? Would you like to round up to help such and such? You know what that is? That's self-preservation. Yeah, I've, I've, it's 26 cents to the next dollar. Sure, I'll donate the next 26 cents. That's not a problem, because that's what? what I have left over. I can give you what's left over. That's human nature. That's not what God calls us to. Now, I believe God calls me to Panda Express sometimes. I do believe that. But but I don't believe that God calls me to give him the leftovers. How would you feel if your spouse constantly gave you what was left over? That wouldn't work, would it? That wouldn't be good. Yeah, some of you are like, mm-mm, that marriage wouldn't last long at all. And so the first school of thought is that, well, I'll give God what's left over. After I pay my bills, after, after I've spent time on the gun range, then I'll go help out at the church. Or once I've done this, then I'll go do what God wants me to do. That's self-preservation. That's giving God what's left over. Now, in that school of thought, though, since we are called to be a generous people, generosity can never exceed their ability to meet your own needs. In that school of thought, generosity will never exceed your ability to meet your own needs. Think about that. As long as I just keep giving what's left over, yeah, okay, Panda Express, I can give you, or, or Hobby Lobby, or wherever you go, I'll give you what's left over. Well, that, what that says is, well, I've met my own needs first. I've preserved myself first. The second school of thought are people who give off the top. I'm going to be generous and give first, and then I'll live with what's, re- with what's left over. Right? Now, to somebody who is 
fully given their life to Christ and says, Jesus, I trust you with, it's a big word, it starts with an E, it's called everything, right? I trust you with my soul, I trust you with my family, I trust you with my job, I trust you with everything, but don't touch this bank account right here. Well, he didn't come to save part of you and then you maintain part. He said, I come to save the whole thing. I come to save your soul. I come to save the way you think about money. I come to save your family. I come to save you and your job. I will meet all of your needs according to what? According to how well you can perform on the job? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I will meet your needs according to all of my riches in heaven. There's your supply. Are you ever going to run out? Nope. He says, listen, you've walk step in step with me, I'll provide. Oh, and by the way, you've got the wealth of heaven supporting you. Not the wealth of Wall Street, the wealth of heaven. You don't have the wealth of your employer backing you, you have the wealth of heaven backing you. So when God says, okay, step out, give till it hurts, well, I don't know. What the first response should be, why not? I've got heaven backing me on this. Why not? I can do it because God says I can. He says he'll meet my needs according to what he has up there, not what he has down here. We're people of heaven. We're people of faith. We're not people of what if, as I said before. And so people who give off the top, well, this just seems logical to them. This is logical because they understand that God owns it anyway. God provided me this skill or this trade to get the job. God provided me the ability to get the finances that I have. God's provided it. It only makes sense that if he asks me to do something, that I do it because it's logical. Paul writes in, in the church of Corinth, and, and maybe sometime we'll go through First and Second Corinthians. It's just a crazy, crazy church that is way off its rocker. And so Paul writes letters saying, guys, you, you need to really pull it together. I mean, there are... There are things going on in the church that you just, you, you, you wouldn't even think that's a church. Like you wouldn't even, you would look in today's society at the church of Corinth and go, there's no way I am going to that church because they are full of hypocrites. They're full of liars. There's people sleeping with other people's family, you know, people sleeping together. And there's family members sleeping with other family members. And there's all sorts of incest and stealing and they're getting drunk off the communion and I am not going to that church. And so Paul writes first and second Corinthians, guys, you better pull it together before I show up. Right? And as he starts giving them instructions, and one of the things that he instructs them in is their giving. He instructs them in their finances. He says, okay guys, now listen, I understand that when you follow Greek mythology and the Greek way of living, this is how you live. But You've come into the body of Christ. It's time to change some things up. And so he kind of reprimands them a little bit. And one of the things that he talks to them about is he talks to them about their finances. And in the message version, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he says this. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in giving. He says, okay, guys, I've been talking to you about money. We've been talking to, you, talking to you about what you should give. Let's take the first step. The first step is think over how much you can give. Think about how much of your finances you can contribute to the kingdom of God. He says, think it over. He goes, by thinking it over, then you won't have the 
I'm up at 2 a.m. because I can't sleep and I'm flipping through the channels and there's the sob story. And oh my gosh, I've just committed everything because this commercial touched my heart. Anybody been there? Right? This is exactly what he says. He goes, pray, think about what you're able to give so that when somebody comes to you and tries to twist your arm or somebody tries to give you a sob story to get more out of you, you're okay with not giving to that because you know that God has dealt with you on what you're to give. This is why when I check out at stores and I go, nope, don't round me up, God didn't tell me to give to that. It's a nice cause, but God didn't tell me to give to that. And you know what? I don't feel guilty. You know why? Because I give to God's kingdom here and what God's doing here, and I don't feel guilty because God has told me to give here, not there. God has said, bring your treasure to the storehouse, the church, and push the kingdom forward and move my kingdom forward. Now, it's not that those aren't bad things and that we shouldn't give to those organizations or give to those charities, but God says, my kingdom first. So when I'm checking out, I go, no thanks. I honestly, I want to, you would think that I should walk out feeling guilty. I don't. I don't accept the guilt trip because I know what I'm doing with the money that God has given me, right? And so I don't. I've thought it over. And Paul says, think it over. Pray about it. That will protect you against the sob stories and the arm twisting. Why? Because now I know I'm following God's calling and I can be happy. I can be happy about giving because I know this is what God wants me to do. I'm following God's footsteps. And there's nothing better than following God's footsteps. Like I said, I, I don't think that any of us are inherently purposely selfish. I don't think most of us in this room are, are not givers and, and not generous because I know a lot of you donate your time to the church here and a lot of you give financially and a lot of you do a lot of amazing things. My goal over the next few weeks is to help you break that barrier so that you can see how much God can really do once you bust through that wall of fear that's supported by self-preservation. So I just want to give you two more scriptures as we kind of wrap this up this morning. How do we become a person of generosity? Not a person of giving, because we already give. But a person of generosity. Generosity is on the other side of that wall of fear and self-preservation that's painted by what if. So how do I get from giving to break through that wall to being a generous person? I'm going to give you two verses, and then we'll continue with the rest of this week. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 of the New Living Translation, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek what first? God. Seek God's kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom first. Seek God's purpose first. Seek what he wants you to do. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of digging the give part, right? I'm, I'm digging God saying, you know what? You're doing what I've asked you to do. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you what you need. 
I can't tell you how many times in my life I've told Lynn, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know how we're going to pay this. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. And inevitably, somebody calls and says, hey, can I need you to sub two or three times this week. Oh, well, that's where that's coming from. Or, hey, you know, one of, the, one of my side jobs is that I, I work, I do some work for my brother-in-law's railroad company. And I'm the business administrator for the company. And so one of the things that I do is I work with our sales guy down in Kentucky. I try to, try to get new business and stuff. And, and I was finishing up some corporate stuff and some human resources stuff with the company. And I was like, okay, well, I think, I think I'm about done, Tim. I got everything set up. You're good to go, ready to roll. And then we had to take my son to the doctor, and that incurred another bill, and so on and so forth. And I'm like, I, I don't know where this is coming from. And then two weeks later, my brother-in-law calls me. He goes, hey, I need you to put in about X number of hours over the next three weeks. And I'm like, every time God provides. Every time God comes through. He might come through with extra hours of overtime. Yeah, you might have to give up a Saturday, but God will come through. Every time. If you're living righteously, God says, I will come through and meet your need. Amen. Every time. The question we have to ask ourselves, I'm going to give you two questions. The first question is this. How do we become more righteous? First question to ask yourself. Is God's voice louder than the what-ifs in your own life? Is God's voice louder than the what-ifs? Is what God says more important than your own what-ifs? Next verse, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. These are Jesus' words in Luke 6.38. He tells his disciples, you give and it will be given back to you. And it won't be just given back to you with what you give. It will be good. And and let me explain what what, what does he mean when he says good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. When they would go out into the fields, when when the wheat was gold and it was ready to be harvested, they would go out and they would take their cloak and they'd pull it up and they'd attach it so they had a pouch. And they'd go out in the field and they'd take the wheat and they would harvest the wheat and they would put it. They'd put it in the pouch. And they would get the grain off, I'm not a farmer, sorry for the wrong term, the stem of the wheat or whatever. And they'd throw the wheat out and they would have, they'd have the grain there. Some of you are laughing at me. All right, that's fine. They didn't have combines, okay? So... They do that, and they would keep doing that. Well, if you do that, and you don't press it down, because what they would do is they'd take the pouch, and he's using farming terminology, take the pouch, and they'd shake it. And then they, they would shake it, and then they would press it down, and they'd go get more. And then they'd shake it, and they'd press it down, and they'd go get more. Why? Because they can maximize the space in that pouch. And he says, when you give... I will return to you so much so that you have to shake it, press it down, shake it, press it down until eventually it just comes running over. But you know what the part is? 
It, he didn't say, I'm just going to rain grain into your pouch. He said, you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to shake it, press it, shake it, press it, shake it, press it, walk some more, shake it, press it. You do your part, and eventually I will make sure that you have so much you can't contain it. But we'll never get to that point if we stay on this side of the what-if wall that's supported by our self-preservation. Because he says the same measure you use to give is the same measure I'm going to pay back to you. Right? And so this last question, how do we become a person of generosity? And we're going to explore this more in the coming weeks. One of the things that I've asked, this was eye-opening to me, and I still ask myself, it's this. What is God doing financially, and how do I get in on it? What is God doing financially, and how do I get in on it? You see, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present, then he's present in finances as much as he is present when we worship him in song. What I have to do is look at my life and go, okay, where's God moving in my finances, and how do I capitalize on that? Is he, is he helping you start a business? Maybe he's helping you start a business, and this is new and it's fresh, and you're excited about it. Perhaps God's moving there with a new business. And so you ask for his blessing on that. Where's God moving in your life financially? Maybe your company is getting a bunch of overtime. Thank you, Lord, for that opportunity to press down, shake together. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to press it down, and I'm going to shake it together, and I'm going to go to the next day to work. Wherever God is moving in your, maybe God's moving in your heart to get rid of debt. You know, I sat down this week and said, okay, what's it going to take to be completely debt-free? And I got that down, and I figured it out to be completely debt-free. So for us right now, that's where God's moving. And, I'm see- and here's the amazing thing, that when you start moving in the direction God's asking you to move, doors start opening. Things start happening. So I looked up how much we owe on one of our cars, and I'm like, no. I'm going to call the bank and make sure that that's right because that's way too low from what I thought it was. God providing needs. So I have to check with the bank. Like, are you sure this is right? Now, I know that, you know, the bank's very accurate, so I'm going to trust. They're going to go, no, we didn't make a mistake. That's only what, that's, that's it. That's all you owe, right? But when you step out and begin to trust God with your finances to move past, get past that wall from giving Get past that wall to generosity. What is God doing financially, and how do I get in on it? And I want to leave you with this story as we close. There was a boy, and he, was, he, had, he had saved up enough money to buy a bike. He was excited. He was going to buy his bike, and he couldn't wait. It was shiny and had the right wheels on it, and all of this stuff. It was everything that he wanted, and missionary came to church. Talked about drilling wells and water and feeding the hungry. Well, now he's torn inside. He's like, I want the bike, but I want to give to this. And I feel like I need to give everything that I have to this and sacrifice the bike. So he goes to his dad. He says, Dad, I'm, I, I'm struggling, Dad. I don't know what to do. I, I want to do I want to do this, but I, I want to do that. His dad said, son, do me a favor. Let's go to the kitchen. So they go to the kitchen. He goes, now get out three pots and fill, them all, fill all three pots with water. So he fills all three pots with water. He says, now put them on the stove, turn on the burners, and let all three pots of water begin to boil. 
And when you see the first bubble, in this pot, I want you to drop a potato. In this pot, I want you to drop an egg. And in this pot, I want you to drop some coffee beans. And then we'll come back in a few minutes. Okay, whatever. Dad's weird. He does it. They leave. And they come back in. And the dad says, pull the potato out. Pull the egg out. So he pulls the potato out. He goes, son, when you put the potato in the boiling water, it was hard, unforgiving. He goes, but what is it now? He goes, it's soft, it's pliable, it's mushy. Yeah, the boiling water has changed what the potato is. He says, how about the egg? He goes, it's hard, it's rigid. He goes, but it was soft, wasn't it? Yeah. He goes, but now it's hard. He said, yep. He goes, get the strainer. Strain the beans out of the boiling water. So he pulls and strains the coffee beans out. And he goes, what's left? He's like, coffee? He said, the potato changed from hard to soft. The egg changed from soft to hard. The coffee beans are still coffee beans, but they gave of themselves, and now you have coffee. And my challenge to you is not to be the potato and not to be the egg. Be the coffee bean. So as you go through your week this week, think to yourself, how can I be a coffee bean? How can I give to others and still be yeah, y'all like the coffee analogy, didn't you? Y'all like it real good tomorrow morning when you have to go to work. How do you be a coffee bean in the, in the world of potatoes and eggs who only focus on changing themselves and not giving to others around them? Let's stand up. Look at your neighbor and say, coffee is good. Look at your other neighbor and say, be coffee. Because coffee beans, even after they've produced coffee, can still be used in a garden for fertilizer. Coffee can still be used if you have an itch or have an irritation on your skin. You can use the coffee grounds and it'll make the itch go away. They can still be used even though they've given of themselves to produce coffee. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you call us to, to be coffee beans in a world that is full of potatoes and eggs. The Lord, we can give of ourselves and still have more to give because we are not the source. Heaven is the source. And if we live with heaven as the source, we can stop giving, break through the wall of what ifs that's supported by self-preservation, and we can become generous. Lord, I pray that we might become generous over the course of this series so that when we get to the end of the series, Lord, we're gonna take up one massive collection for our Imagine campaign. And we're going to see this land bought. And we're going to see a community center built for the town of Lopel. Lord, I thank you for using the river. I thank you for using us to do your work and your purpose in our community. As we sing this out, I'm going to invite anyone here today who has a prayer need. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Jesse and Amy to come down on this side. And I'm going to ask 
I'm going to ask Aaron. I'm going to ask Steve to come down on this side. And if you have prayer for anything as we close in song, I want you to come down. Maybe you need prayer over your finances. Maybe you need to ask God for wisdom, how to handle the finances. Maybe you have a marriage or relationship. So if Jesse and Amy would come down on this side, Steve and Aaron on this side as we sing out, let's just worship God this morning as we close.